Welcome to the first episode of 2022 of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 46, headlined by a beautiful featherweight scrap here between Giga Takadze and Calvin Cater, uh, two dynamic strikers, and I can't wait to see how that fight unfolds. First UFC card of 2022. We've been without the UFC for almost three, four weeks now, and uh, everybody's reeling for some fights. I've been slowly cracking at this upcoming card, been dropping breakdowns over the last couple weeks, and uh, I gotta say, I can't wait that we're finally a week away from the UFC fight. So uh, I'm excited to finally get back into the circus. I will say, though, uh, the UFC has two fights. Uh, we got, uh, obviously, this card coming up. We have UFC 270. Then we got a week off again. Although Bellator is filling that gap with Uf- uh, Bellator 273. I believe that's Ryan Bader uh, defending his heavyweight scrap against Valentin Moldovsky. Uh, but... Uh, UFC ditching us for a week in between, but then I I think it's off to the races after that, uh, as I believe they have eight or nine straight fights scheduled. So I'm looking forward to getting back into the thick of things here. But the break was great. Uh, I did a, a betting recap show for you guys uh, closer to the end of uh, last year. If you guys were able to tune in for that, I appreciate that. Uh, and not to mention started the deadlock podcast with my guy uh clint from Die Hard mma if you guys haven't checked that out obviously i've already done we've already done the first episode on this channel but things will be moving over to the deadlock podcast channel in march uh so make sure you guys subscribe over there before you guys miss out on the chance when we actually move over there uh, we also are doing quick hit uh streams on uh that podcast or that channel right now so that we can start building up the subscriber base over there so that once we do permanently make the move over there we got the majority of people over there and they won't be scratching their heads wondering what the deadlock podcast is once uh, march comes around so make sure you guys go check that out i am very excited for the future of that podcast because i think it's going to be very bright and i think we're gonna we're gonna knock it out of out of the park with that one the creativity of myself and uh clint putting it together here uh i think it's uh going to be a home run there and i can't wait to to, to get the next show under our belt. So make sure you guys check out the Deadlock podcast. Um, let's do a quick betting recap of the last event uh, that we had, which was the December 18th event, the UFC Vegas 45. Uh, we come up pl- uh, plus 0.61 units. Um, everything was looking great, and then it started to fall off as the card went on. Luckily, we we're still able to end up in the profit that night no lock of the night play, so I'm just going to quickly go down the list here of the amount of bets I had. I think I had nine total bets luckily still came out on the winning end so uh, the first one dog of the night play on andre eel one unit at plus 168 didn't go as i expected at all uh charles dordain was very effective with his style and very aggressive and andre eel could not keep him on the outside with his jab so uh yeah a bad read there bad call that's minus one unit there next up it was also Ewell by decision i took a 0.5 unit shot at plus 350 as i thought that was his best way of winning that fight obviously didn't come to fruition either uh i had two units on the under one and a half in the top on Huntsucker fight that should have been the lock of the night play you know i'm not sure why i didn't unload on that more than i should have uh but at least we still cash on it two units at minus 190 profits for plus 1.05 units uh next up i had ricky simone to win by decision against hafiola sunsell 1.5 units at plus 115 again historically a decision machine ricky simone uh manages to put out rafael or hafiola sunsell who we can officially say he's he's chinny right i gave him the benefit of the doubt against cody garbrandt given the situation how that knockout actually transpired uh but ricky simone 
is the real deal. We got to start giving him some more respect. Uh, next up, I had 1.2 units on the under two and a half in Matt Sales against Jordan Levitt. Uh, again, I was picking Sales as my pick. This is why I went with the under two and a half in case he wasn't able to stop the grapple heavy approach of Levitt. And that's exactly what happened. Levitt was able to find that submission and get the tap. So that catches for plus 1.02 units. Uh, next up, I had Cub Swanson, two units at minus 187. He was actually parlayed. I'm trying to recall with who. Obviously, it's been over a month or close to a month now since that fight uh, took place. But that was a two unit parlay. Comes down to just Cub Swanson, minus 187. That catches. A lot easier than I expected it to, plus 1.7 units or 1.07 units there. Then had a one unit parlay on uh, Matias Gamrot and Raquel Pennington. They go out there and do what they do. Uh, great finish by Gamrot to uh, to take advantage of the injured ribs of Fajera. I believe that's what it was. And then Raquel Pennington uh, getting that choke over Macy Kiasong where it seemed like the tide was starting to change a little bit. But luckily, Pennington being the veteran that she is, she was able to still find that finish. I also had a half unit shot on Harry Hunsucker to win in round one at plus 700. Again, Justin Toffin, not that great of a fighter, but can still knock a motherfucker out. And that's exactly what happened against Hunsucker. So I was still happy to cash on the under one and a half uh, as my main play on that fight. And then I had my Hail Mary parlay, which looked oh so good. All seven legs. What was it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. All seven legs before we got to the eighth leg, which was Stephen Oneboy Thompson. And then Wonderboy Thompson shits the bed. Bilal Muhammad comes out on the winning end, and that crashes a plus. 2000 parlay that would have put us in the green for the year but is what it is minus 0.5 units there like i said plus 0.61 units on that event happy to come out with a win there i believe we're on a two event winning streak now and i'm hoping to lock up my third straight win uh straight winning event this coming weekend on cater and chikadze um everything's starting to get posted on the patreon right now uh lock of the night play has already been posted so make sure you guys go check that out link is in the description below five bucks a month uh again it's not just for my picks you guys get a ton of other perks uh the picks are just a cherry on top uh early access to the breakdowns best bets and props article um a ton of great things on there a great discord community as well uh i love the patreon there's a reason there's over 300 members on it so make sure you guys go check that out link is in the, des the description below and uh this year as well i'm expected to add a lot more stuff on there so make sure you guys go check that out um and lastly shout out to my guys cool bet they've been riding with me for a while it's been a very beneficial relationship i love those guys if you guys haven't already checked out cool bet make sure you check them out they have great lines uh the fact that you can parlay props is something that's very sexy to a lot of people so if you're looking for one of those uh bookies cool bet is one of those guys that will do it to you so make sure you guys check them out use code mmalotn2 that's the number two and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks so make sure you guys take full advantage of that all right that's pretty much a wrap on the intro here let's get into the breakdowns that's what, that's what you guys are here for right enjoy the breakdowns and i'll see you guys on the on the back end to wrap this thing up vanessa demopoulos versus silvana juarez gomez or Gomez Juarez. I'm going to always mess that up, but it is Silvana Gomez Juarez. Uh, we got minus 130 on the Demopolis side and plus 110 on Juarez here. Now, you guys remember Juarez from her uh, short notice UFC debut spot against Lupita Godinez, where Godinez was able to ground her. Uh, had a little bit of trouble in terms of securing those positions as Juarez did a good job of getting back to her feet, but ultimately, Godinez is able to find that arm and lock on that arm bar and was able to get the tap there. Now, Juarez was scheduled to fight 
fight the following week against uh, Maria Sova, I believe her name was, on the Contender Series. But uh, Godinez's opponent obviously fell out, and they called on Juarez to take the fight on a couple days earlier notice and against a completely different opponent she agreed and ultimately she ended up coming on the losing end but i believe that the ufc was grateful for the fact that she uh, took the fight on short notice and now she's getting another scrap here against vanessa demopoulos demopoulos on the other end she's coming off an over underwhelming performance uh, against jj aldrich last time around in a spot where aldrich almost finished her in that second round by having a ton of success in the striking but she was having her way on the ground even though the black belt and Vanessa Demopoulos didn't really come in handy there you know she was trying to threaten with arm bars she was trying to threaten with a very high guard when she was on her back unfortunately JJ Aldrich is well too well versed in that range and was able to stay out of those positions but still land enough of her own striking that she was able to get the judge's decision once it got there uh this fight in my opinion it's a 50-50 fight, you know, it may be a slight edge to the Juarez side here, but Vanessa Demopoulos needs to get this fight to the ground because I believe that Juarez is the much better striker in this situation. The speed might be on the Demopoulos side, but what speed if there's no real technique or anything really behind it to, you know, fuel that speed? So, uh, you know, if, if uh, Vanessa does go out there and try to just strike with uh, Juarez for 15 minutes, I don't think it will go the greatest for her. I think that Juarez hits a little bit harder. I think she's a better striker all around. She shows off cash kicks every now and then as well which i think will come in handy in this spot in my opinion vanessa needs to wrestle her ass off but from everything that i've seen on tape nothing really makes me believe that she's going to be super successful in doing so nor would please leads me to believe that she should be favored in this position uh, again having that black belt in your back pocket is a great thing but if you're not able to use it effectively it means jack shit and that's exactly what's going to happen here uh, in my opinion against juarez I, we've seen Juarez stuffed takedowns in the past, and even in the uh, the Godinez fight, you see her doing a good job of getting back to her feet. Uh, I think if she brings that same level of defense and ability to get back to her feet from, that she did in the Godinez fight into this fight, I think she wins this fight without issue. But she's 36 years old you know she's really getting up there in age uh she's gonna be at a speed disadvantage and Demopolis may only need one uh takedown to secure that uh that finish but again she doesn't seem the greatest uh in terms of locking up those submissions uh to you know to to the best of uh her abilities you know I believe the last submission victory that she got was that inverted triangle choke against Sam Hughes uh where she found herself pretty much losing that entire fight until Sam Hughes put herself into that position and then Demopolis was able to take advantage of that and get the tap herself. Uh, actually, I, I, I think uh, Sam Hughes actually went out, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, uh, if this fight stays on the feet, I think it's Juarez's fight. And that's the side that I'm leaning here again. Nothing from Demopolis's wrestling game leads me to believe that she's going to be successful in taking this fight to the ground. The reason that Lupita was successful is she chain wrestled. She tied one uh, uh, attempt behind another. She stayed on her like glue, and she was able to get that takedown. Even when uh, Juarez still got up after that, she timed her takedown perfectly and was able to secure that. I just don't know if Demopolis has that you know consistent takedown chain wrestling type of game i haven't seen anything on tape that leads me to believe that so i'm going to be going with the Juarez side here uh no big confidence though uh you know i, I think the line is accurate where it is roughly around a pick em. uh if it does start swinging towards the demopolis side i think there's going to be little value on the Juarez side uh as a you know a slight underdog uh again 
completely 50-50 fight. It all comes down to if Demopolis can get this fight to the ground. And if she's not, I think that Juarez starts starts to run run away with it as the fight starts to go on. So I'm going to be going with uh, Silvana Gomez-Juarez. I think there's a slight chance that she could find the finish in this fight. given the the striking difference i believe that there is and you know uh juarez does have a little bit of heat and zest behind her shots as well that i think that if she's able to accumulatively land on demopolis here she should be able to get that finish but uh again it's women's mma not often do we get a finish so my prediction is going to be uh juarez by decision uh but depending on what the line drops at for juarez inside the distance i might take a little bit of a poke as i do think it's live here considering how I expect the striking exchanges to transpire. So, uh, official prediction: Savannah Waro, uh, Savannah Gomez Juarez via decision. Brian Kelleher versus Saeed Yokub Kakramanov. We got minus one fifty-five on Kakramanov and plus one thirty-five on Brian Boom Kelleher. Now, uh, Kelleher and Kakramanov actually both fought on the same card last time around, uh, August twenty-first. That was the Calvin Gaslam versus Jared Cannonier card, and that was the last card that I was actually uh, able to attend as well over that over there at the Apex. Probably one of the my favorite experiences that I've ever had. But both guys were able to pick up victories that night. Brian Kelleher was my lock the night play that night over Domingo Polarte, and he was able to ground him with. It only took him three takedowns the entire fight, one per uh, one per round, pretty much, and he was able to accumulate close to 13 minutes of control time and was able to take home a decision victory that night. On the flip side, for Saeed Yokub Kakramanov, uh, he had a you know a tough fight against Trevin Jones, but was lucky or not lucky because he was up to nothing on two judges' scorecards uh, going into that third round, but was able to pull up a, a submission victory with less than a minute to go in that fight, putting Trevin Jones to sleep and uh, really stabbing his uh, arrival inside the UFC the kid's skilled you know uh black belt in judo uh comes from a judo background his striking is improving uh when you watch his regional tape there's fights where he looks to just strike strictly strike and there's uh fights where he strictly looks to grapple and it looks like he needs to grapple for the life of him and i think that's the approach that he's going to take here against a guy in brian boom kelleher i will say this about saeed yokob he had a uh a solid showing of himself in that fight against Umer Nurmagomedov a couple fights ago where he came in as, you know, the sacrificial lamb, whatever you want to call it. Um, but he, you know, made it a tougher fight than a lot of people expected that night, uh, but still ended up coming up on the losing side. Here against Brian Kelleher, I am expecting the grapple-heavy Kakromanov approach here uh, to try to ground Kelleher and really try to grind him out. However, Kelleher, who currently boasts a 59% takedown defense, uh, a lot of that has to do with the fact that he gave up six takedowns to one of the better grapplers in that uh, division in Ricky Simone. If you take away that fight, you're talking about a 74% takedown defense rate, which I still think is good enough here to deal with a guy like Saeed Yokub. Uh, not to mention, when he does get taken down, I believe Kelleher does a good enough job in terms of getting back to his feet, and his BJJ isn't too shabby either in terms of keeping him out of bad positions. Now on the feet... Uh, Kelleher might be a little bit more rudimentary in his approach with the striking but the power that he's able to possess and the ability to kind of close that gap in the distance with him and his opponents really you know he's able to really pressure them and force them into bad positions or to do bad things and I think that he'll probably cause some uh, bad takedown attempts here from Saeed Yokob and he could be able to capitalize on them by either gassing out Kakramanov or just landing big big shots on the the feet uh, which should you know start to sway it towards his 
way. And I do think that he could eventually actually get that knockout too, uh, which is something that we've seen Saeed Yokob uh, fall to in the past is, uh, you know, getting clipped cleanly and getting put out. I think that uh, Kokromanov has a solid... Uh, future i think he has some good potential but i think the veterancy here of brian killer who has i believe 35 fights now uh, as a professional that might come into play and i think that he still is good enough you know he's only 33 years old uh he's always been a middle of the pack kind of guy but he's done a damn good job in terms of uh you know being a solid gatekeeper and i mean that with the most uh with no insult intended at all right hunter azure was a guy that a lot of people were heavy on myself included and he shut that shit down and was able to really uh put the hurting on him and then eventually find that knockout we could get the same thing here with Saeed Jokub trying to get those takedowns but being unsuccessful and then eventually eats a big shot from boom and puts his lights out um i'm hoping that keller doesn't try to mix into the grappling and the clinching with him as i do think that uh, kakramanov could get the better of those situations in terms of with his judo trips but i just don't know how um effective kakramanov will be on top if he is able to get those takedowns i the way that i see it playing out is that uh kakramanov is going to be going for takedowns i think that keller will stuff them and then i think his striking advantage here uh will be able to find that eventual knockout of kakramanov kakramanov's striking game isn't horrible don't get me wrong but i think it's still developing like he's still trying to find his way there he throws with heavy heat but brian keller has a damn good chin of his own right um that i think that he'll be able to eat the shots of Kakramanov and still keep chugging on forward so um I think this is closer to a 50-50 fight than what the odds indicate so I'm actually going to be leaning with uh Brian Kelleher in this situation and again if you guys have been following me for a long time you guys know I'm not really that high on Kelleher outside of that last bet that I made on him against Domingo Pilarte but I'm starting to give the guy the respect that he deserves and I think that is uh his veteran experience is going to come very much in handy here against the guy in Kakramanov who's still trying to find his footing so I'm going with Kelleher uh, I don't mind the under two and a half either around even money. I think that's a damn good spot as both guys have finishing capabilities. But I think it's going to be Kelleher who gets his hand raised here by knockout. Dakota Harry Bush going up against Vyacheslav Borshev. That's a mouthful, but I'm going to go with Slava since that's what he's been going by, uh, aka Slava Claus. In terms of odds, we got minus 180 for Slava Claus and plus 155 for Harry Bush. Uh, interesting fight here. You know, when the fight was initially announced, I expected to have a bet on Dakota Bush here, as I did think that a lot of people were going to overreact to how he uh, lost his fight against Austin Hubbard. However, that fight short notice nature for Dakota Bush you know very tough ask of him to come in there on short notice against the guy I believe he took that fight on fight, uh, during fight week if I'm not mistaken and to come in against a guy like Austin Hubbard who has been facing nothing but grapplers so you know he's been uh, in that training room trying to dust up on his takedown defense and his ability to get back to his feet and that's exactly what happened in that fight Dakota Bush had very little success in terms of landing takedowns and when he did he was quickly reversed or Austin Hubbard was able to get back to his feet and start dishing out the punishment again uh borshev uh team alpha male striking coach that's kind of what he's known for but when you watch the guy do his work inside the cage he is very impressive with how he throws his combinations and his relentlessness in terms of just pressuring his opponents and uh doing a good job in terms of nullifying the uh the grappling that a lot of his opponents attempt to uh, um impose on him uh, pretty much every single one of his opponents have tried to take him down and they've either done so but he's been able to get to, back to his feet and start dishing out the damage uh, in the striking realm which allows him to kind of win that round back uh, 
but this is going to be his toughest test in terms of a grappler that he's going to be facing inside uh, in his professional MMA career. Uh, given that he's training with the guys over there at Team Alpha Male, uh, you can see in his game that he's been really working his get up get up game and even his takedown defense. He's very active in terms of making sure that he doesn't settle on his back and very very active in terms of even when he's getting pushed against the cage and his opponent is trying to get a cage takedown uh he digs the underhooks uh he changes positions he breaks off gets back into the middle of the cage and then gets back to his handiwork and that's exactly what i'm expecting to happen here against dakota bush who is gonna attempt takedowns here he's gonna bring his wrestling singlet to the cage but i'm just not impressed with uh, bush's ability to hold his opponents down at least his ability to hold opponents down that are legit you know, he is beating some guys on the regional scene that probably don't deserve to be in there. And if it was Borshev in there, I think Borshev would either stop those takedowns or get back to his feet and then get the striking going. Bush has a decent striking game, you know, a little bit flashy at times. But I do think that Borshev is the one that has the way better striking. Again, combinations uh, doesn't discriminate to the head either. The guy just goes to the body, goes to the head, has some leg kicks in his arsenal as well. And I think that's what it's going to take here to take out uh, Dakota Bush. Um I, I'm a. I, I like me some Slava Claus, you know. I, I put out a tweet earlier this week saying that Slava Claus is in some trouble, uh, and I posted a picture of Dakota Bush and who is he training with? None other than Jay Collier, who also fights on this card, and uh, it was kind of just a tongue-in-cheek kind of joke there uh, regarding. Uh, you know, Slava being in some trouble. But I do think that we'll see Slava uh, have a successful UFC debut here. I think he'll, again, stop the takedowns, stay on the feet, get his striking going, get the combinations going. And I wouldn't be surprised if he actually gets a knockout in the spot either. You know, Borshev, uh, he doesn't look like he has crazy one-punch knockout power, but the guy just... He throws with such heat every time he strikes, but he throws in combinations as well, which allows that knockout to come a little bit easier rather than these guys that are just looking for that big one-punch knockout. Uh, that's not Borshev. Borshev is going to be technical. He's going to be cerebral, and I think he'll eventually find that finish. So I kissed away my uh, my possible bet, uh, underdog bet here on Dakota Bush as I was running the tape, uh, but I'm okay with it. Borshev is the shit. He is the goods, and I do think he will beat Bush on this night. But when he does fight a legitimate grappler, somebody that can hold him down, take him down time and time again, it is just about, uh, you know... A matter of time before Borshev goes out there and gets ragdolled by somebody. I just don't think that uh, Dakota Bush is the guy that's going to do it. So, uh, like I said, I'm going to go Borshev. I'm actually going to take him to win by knockout as well. I think he'll come probably in the first or second round of this fight. Gabriel Benitez versus TJ Brown. We got minus 190 on Gabriel Benitez and minus one, or sorry, plus 170 on the TJ Brown side. Now, I'm very excited for this fight because I'm a big Gabriel Benitez fan you know I like his southpaw style I like his body kicks I like his leg kicks and he's a pretty crisp and technical striker when he's able to get his game going on the flip side with TJ Brown he's a little bit more chaotic at times right not the greatest striker has some big power so we definitely have to give him some respect there but he also has a decent jiu-jitsu game that he's able to implement if he's able to get his opponents to the ground he's been able to control opponents in the past and have some success however I just don't think he's dangerous enough enough on the ground to give Gabriel Benitez any trouble in that realm at all um you know Gabriel Benitez last time around went up against Billy Quarantillo who is a much more difficult matchup we know what Billy Q's game is all about move forward 
put pressure on his opponents, wait till they break, and then start to take over. And that's exactly what he's been able to do in pretty much all of his wins. You know, he may be losing early in his fights, but he eventually picks it up and then eventually gets his opponents out of there. And that's exactly what he was able to do against Gabriel Benitez. In past Benitez fights, you see him, even when taken down, is able to get back to his feet relatively easily and usually makes a good point in terms of not settling on his back and getting back to his feet. However, like I said, Billy Quarantilla was able to break him, and then it was harder and harder for uh, Benitez to get back to his feet, and that's ultimately why he succumbed to uh, the finish the way that he did in the second round. I would be mystified if TJ Brownwood is successful in putting him in similar positions or even getting him to the point of breaking Gabriel Benitez. I do think that we'll see that patented body kick from Gabriel here whenever he's trying to uh, get out of the way of the big strikes of uh, TJ Brown. I think he will maneuver properly and effectively get his kicking game going and really make TJ Brown slow down as the fight goes on. If you guys go back and watch the Danny Chavez fight for TJ Brown, that's kind of the quintessential way to approach the TJ Brown fight, right? I know TJ may have been a little bit more lackadaisical and passive in that fight, but I do think a lot of it had to do with the fact that uh, Chavez was very effective with the kicking game that he was implementing there. Obviously, different kicks compared to what Benitez is going to be throwing because uh, Chavez was more so targeting the calf and the leg, whereas uh, Mowgli will be uh, attacking the body. But I think that we'll, we'll see similar uh, success from uh, both sides here. Um, I don't expect Benitez to gas out the way that he did against Billy Quarantillo. TJ Brown just does not put that type of pressure on his opponents. And again, I... I'm just not a big uh, a big guy on TJ Brown, even though I played him in his last fight against Kai Kamaka. You know, I thought that was a great matchup for him, but I think that Benitez is going to be a little bit more difficult to, to deal with, and he obviously has a much better cardio than Kai Kamaka and much more effective with the striking as well. So I do think that we'll see uh, Benitez have a solid success in this fight. So um, again, when I got into taping this fight, I thought I'd be more on the Benitez side as a possible lock of the night play, uh, but after running the tape, I'm going to give TJ Brown a little bit more credit but I do think that Benitez still ends up getting his hand raised so I'm gonna go with Gabriel Benitez and I'll take him to win this fight via decision Ramiz Brahimaya versus Court McGee we got minus 120 on the crusher and plus 100 on Ramiz Brahimaya uh very fun fight here uh especially for the Brahimaya side thing side of things he's an all offense all offense kind of guy he wants to go out there try to take you to the ground, get a submission or get a TKO. However, I think he's going to be in some trouble here against the veteran Court McGee, who has physically been looking in the best shape of his career over his last couple fights. Uh, and I think that's going to allow him to uh, have some success in this fight here against Brahimai. Uh, Cormagee never been submitted in his uh, professional MMA career and that's kind of the bread and butter of Ramiz's game and now has the time finally come that Cormagee is going to give up his first submission I just don't think so you know he's fought some pretty good BJJ guys over his last couple fights Sean Brady and Claudio Silva two guys uh, that we can highlight and he you know, was never really in trouble in terms of getting submission, or at least super close to, to tapping in any one of those fights, uh, as he's very aware, has great fight IQ, and, you know, I questioned the fight IQ a little bit against Claudio Silva, uh, as he did take him down a couple minutes into that fight, as I believe that he should have waited a little bit longer before he took Claudio down, but, <coughs> excuse me, he was very confident in his ability to stay out of those submissions, hence why he was able to just 
ride him on top and win uh, every single minute, almost every single minute of that fight. Outside of the beginning of that third round where uh, it seemed like Claudio Silva knew he was behind he threw uh you know a bunch of leg kicks it seemed to rattle mcgee a little bit uh but then after maybe about a minute and a half to two minutes uh we saw claudio start to slow down once again and then court mcgee start to take over so uh you know ramiz i'm interested to see how he comes and approaches this fight is he going to come like a bat out of hell and try to find that submission early or is he going to try to take his time and try to pick apart court mcgee being the younger and faster fighter I just don't see that happening. You know, I mean, I think that Ramiz is going to require to get that takedown to be successful, but I do, just don't think that, uh, you know, his cardio or his ability to, you know, fight a full 15 minutes is going to allow him to do that. Court McGee still has a great gas tank, in my opinion, and he has, still has that uh, good enough MMA game overall to beat a guy like Ramiz. I think that he should... You know, uh, he might drop the first round, but after that, I think we'll get a much better line on Court McGee, which would be a great live betting opportunity as well. And I think from round two on, we'll see him have more success, landing more damage, landing more output, and just really shutting down Ramiz's game, which in again, in my opinion, a lot of it is centered around getting the fight to the ground. And from what I've been seeing from McGee as of late, I think he's good enough to either get back to his feet or stuff the takedowns. And then cardio, without a doubt, is obviously on the Court McGee side here. Uh, again, the only thing that really ruffles me a little bit is uh, McGee getting over there on the, the older side of things. But I do think that this is a perfect fight for him to go out there and shut down a young up-and-coming fight like Ramiz Brahimai so uh, I like McGee uh, I wouldn't even count on him possibly finishing Brahimai later in this fight uh, but again McGee is more often not a decision machine uh, I think it's me just more so pointing to Ramiz uh, and how bad his cardio could get if he really empties the tank early in this fight uh, Claudio Silva is another guy who usually empties his tank early in the fight and we saw that go the full 15 minutes which is why I'm leaning a little bit more to McGee by decision um, but if that round three prop on McGee is nice and spicy you guys know I need to take a little bit of a shot on that but official prediction here is going to be Court McGee via decision Jamie Pickett versus Joseph Holmes we got minus 150 on Ugly Man Joe and plus 120 the return on Jamie Pickett now I gotta say, this is probably gonna be one of the more slow-paced fights of the card. It could end just like that, or it's gonna get slugged on into the third round, and it's just gonna be a clinch fest between both of these guys, and that's exactly what I'm expecting to happen here. Now, when the line, or, or when the fight was announced, I'd assumed that Jamie Pickett was gonna be the underdog, um, and I thought that he would have some value here around that plus 120, plus 130 range, but I just can't pull the trigger here, as there are just so many times in so many of his fights where he just allows his opponents kind of just dictate the pace you know star poly was successful in doing so until he started to gas out a little bit and pickett was able to take over but it you know nothing really changed in terms of what pickett brings to the table unfortunately on the home side there's not much to really be excited about especially around that minus 150 range considering what he brings to the table uh when he has most success he's able to clinch his opponents up against the cage drag them to the ground and then eventually find a finish whether it's from a submission or a ground and pound however i don't think that jamie pickett will find himself in these compromising positions i think he'll do a good job in terms of nullifying the success of joseph holmes on the ground however i don't think he'll do a good enough job in one in uh getting back to his feet 
and two, stopping it from happening again. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen. It's a rinse and repeat type of thing here for Joseph Holmes in terms of trying to get Pickett to the ground and trying to finish him. But I think he'll always end up coming short. But luckily for him, if this does go though, if this does go the full 15 minutes, I think his aggression and ability to control where this fight is going to be will be the reason why he wins this fight. So I don't have uber confidence on either side here. I am going to be leaning with the Joseph Holmes side again he will be the one dictating the pace i do think he has a little bit more power in his hands as well in case this does turn into a striking battle but i do think that you know within the first minute or so we're going to see joseph holmes kind of push him up against the cage and that will kind of dictate the rest of the fight how successful he is in terms of getting the fight to the ground and if he's not maybe he's just content with pushing jamie pickett up against the cage both these guys have similar statures i believe that uh uh Joseph Holmes is actually two inches taller, but they have the same range or same reach. Uh, so I don't think that there's going to be a massive advantage on either side in that realm. But I do think the slightly stronger guy will be Joseph Holmes side of things here, which is why I think he'll be successful in, in, in engaging in that clinch, uh, that cage clinch position and being successful with it as well. So uh, no big spot here. If anything, I think I would take the over. It's a little bit juiced at this point in time at minus 185, but I don't mind that. You know, I I'll take a little bit of a poke on that uh, or throw it into a Hail Mary parlay or something. But I would rather take the over than pick a side here. Um, if this fight does finish under, I think it'll be Joseph Holmes who actually gets the finish. But I just can't trust him to do so against the guy in Jamie Pickett who's been quite durable you know I know his most recent uh uh finish or sorry loss when he got finished was against Jordan Wright uh two fights ago now I believe it was um but he put himself in a very compromising position and uh, was going life and death in terms of trying to get Jordan Wright to the ground. But he left himself open to getting elbowed the entire time. And uh, I'm sure he learned his lesson from there. Uh, I believe before that, it was about four or five years ago that he got submitted by Charles Bird on the Contender Series. Uh, but I just don't know if Joseph Holmes has that level of jiu-jitsu to be able to get Jamie Pickett into those compromising positions and find a finish himself. So I'm going to be going Joseph Holmes and I'm actually going to take him to win this fight via decision next up we got bill algio welcoming contender series signee from this past season joe anderson brito in terms of odds we got minus 130 on the brazilian and plus 110 on senor perfecto mr bill algio now uh, i'm excited for this fight you know uh, i always try to find a way to fade bill algio when i can obviously i had ricardo lamas as a uh, locker than i play in his ufc debut and then i do believe i had a small shot on hamush as a small dog uh in algio's last fight uh but the kids you know he, he's impressing me more and more uh, as his, as his career goes on but the thing is he's a little bit too passive at times and i think that he allows the fight kind of to just slip through his fingers uh, where he should be a little bit more aggressive and assert himself he allows his opponent to do that and then his opponent kind of gets ahead and uh you know gets the decision just as we saw in the uh in the hikaru hamosh fight last time around um here against joe anderson brito he can't let that happen man brito fights the complete opposite of algio algio likes to stick on the outside uses long range uh likes his one two blitz attacks likes his uh spinning attacks from the outside uh but after that you know that there's really mu not much else he has a bjj black belt but he doesn't really uh pursue t takedowns to an extent that makes me believe that he's going to go out there and try to uh really work um really work out uh, brito to the ground here and then get his jujitsu going because if he's watched any tape on joe anderson brito he knows that's 
probably his path to victory. Because we've seen, even in fights where Brito wins, uh, the parts that he has most uh, difficulty with is when his opponents get into the ground. And that's where they're able to control him. Just as uh, uh, Johnny Izzy Kawi, uh, I'm I'm probably butchering the guy's name, but it was like five or six fights ago where uh, this guy had uh, Brito on the ground for like 90% of the fight. We're talking 14 minutes of, of takedowns, uh, sorry, of control time pretty much. And uh, then the guy runs out of gas, Brito gets back to his feet and just absolutely puts the shit kicking on him. But the red flag for me and Brito in that fight was like, he just kept doing the same thing over and over again, which led him to that compromising position of getting taken down. But as his fight tapes start to progress, as his career start to progress, and let's remember the kid's only 26 years old, uh, he is starting to make improvements. He is doing better in terms of getting out of these bad positions. But I'd be surprised if he goes out there and willingly engages in the grappling realm with Bill Algio. You know, I know we saw Ricardo uh, Lamas have success with takedowns and stuff and, and control time in the third round of their fight, but Algio is very tough to hold down. Whenever he gets taken down, the guy is pretty much like a cat. He's back up on all fours. He doesn't mind giving up his back. And then he uh, manages way manages to work his way back to his feet. That's exactly what he did in the Hakardo Hamos fight. And I'm expecting if Brito does that here, we'll see the same thing. However, I just don't know if Brito has the gas tank to do that for 15 minutes, to continuously try to take Algio down. I think he would be best served to just have a kickboxing match for 15 minutes. Because at that point... His aggressiveness, his forward movement, his heavy strikes, uh, optically speaking, is much more pleasing to the judges than what Bill Algio's style is, which is to stay on the outside and just pitter-patter from the outside. He's going to have to be very accurate, very pinpoint with his strikes so that he lands the more effective strikes to be able to win the fight on his back foot. I just don't see that happening. I think that Brito will be successful enough in terms of landing heavy leg kicks from outside. And then whenever he does crash the pocket, starts to land big strikes. And then once Bill Algio gets out of the pocket, uh, you know, that scenario is over. That exchange is over. And more often than not, it's going to look like Brito is getting the upper hand in those spots. Uh, so, you know, there are a couple red flags on either side here. Um, you know, Brito, uh, my main concern is if Algio looks to get his BJJ black belt going, get this fight to the ground and try to control Brito there. Because if he doesn't, I think he loses a 15-minute kickboxing match. Even if Brito engages in the clinch and pushes him up against the cage and, and tries to control him there, I think that's a, success, a successful path to victory for him too. So I do like uh, I do like uh, Brito in this spot. I wish I had a little bit more confidence in him. Uh, you know, I, I do like him. I do think that he's the, the proper side here, as it's very difficult to back an Algio who doesn't have a very bet-friendly style, if that's what you want to call it, right? Uh, last thing I'll say about this matchup, there are comparisons to the Spike Carlisle fight here for Bill Algio in terms of having a, a tank of a man in front of him who likes to move forward and throw big, big strikes. But the difference between Carlisle and Brito is that we've seen Carlisle kind of just take back steps and kind of, you know, lose minutes and uh, uh, gas himself a little bit too much by throwing too, too many big strikes. Whereas Brito, I've seen him, you know, constantly be able to keep up that cardio, keep moving forward, keep throwing big strikes and I think that will uh, benefit him here uh, he doesn't like to take a back foot or a back step at all and I think that's going to benefit him a lot here against Algio who is more than happy to be on the back foot for the majority of the fight so uh, I'm going to go Brito um, it's going to be hard to put out Algio so I'm not sure if he'll be able to get the finish here um, so I'll take Brito by decision um, I'm hoping for a 15 minute kickboxing match uh, because I think that would allow Brito to be more successful so I'm going Brito I'll take him to win this fight via decision. 
Jake Collier versus Chase Sherman. We got minus 130 on Jake Collier and plus 110 on Chase Sherman. Now, uh, if the Parker Porter fight didn't happen for Chase Sherman, I'd guarantee that he'd be the maybe minus 180, minus 200 favorite here over Jake Collier. However, Jake Collier has a similar style to Parker Porter in terms of output, uh, striking, sticking, and moving. And I think that's the reason why we're seeing a lot of money come in on the Collier side here to make him the slight favorite in this spot. And I absolutely agree with it right people are starting to learn that chase sherman really isn't as good as his uh you know second ufc debut if you want to call it when he was kicked out of the, or cut from the ufc and then eventually made his way back uh during the covid era uh and he it was clear that he was on all the sauce going into that ikeville and Oeva fight as we saw in his next fight against andre Olovsky. He just didn't have it anymore. And then his next fight against Parker Porter just didn't have it in that either. Now you got a guy with a similar archetype to Parker Porter and Jake Collier here. Gotta believe that Collier should be the favorite in this spot and he should go out there and win this fight. Uh, the only real thing that we gotta worry about Chase Sherman, one, is if he goes back to his calf kicking game, which he seemed to have abandoned, or sorry, have abandoned since the Ike Villanueva fight. And two, the possible knockout power of Chase Sherman, right? Um, obviously, Jake Collier got knocked out by Tom Aspinall in his return bout, but I just don't think that Chase Sherman brings what Tom Aspinall brings to the table. Uh, Aspinall way quicker. Uh, much more power in his hands and uh, the, the hand speed is the main thing that I think a lot of people need to focus on there as I don't think that Sherman has that speed or that agility with his hands to find the the pinpoint knockout that he needs here against a guy like Jay Collier. Sure, if I make a bet on Collier, I am going to be sweating it early here, but the longer that this fight goes uh, and the more that the numbers start to go up with Collier in terms of the output and the volume, the more confident I'm going to be that he actually gets his hand raised in this spot. Will he finish Chase Sherman? It doesn't look like Jake Collier throws with much finishing intentions anymore, and I think that's going to allow us to go out there and possibly cash a decision bet here on Jake Collier, as I do think that will be the sharper play rather than taking him at minus 130 in this certain spot. Um, again, Collier can go out there and throw plenty of strikes. In his third round against Philippe's, uh, Carlos Philippe, he actually outstruck him 54 to 41, uh, but two judges actually scored that round for Carlos Philippe, and I believe that was in part to the body language of Jay Collier. So I'm hoping that he kind of learned his lesson from that fight and uh, will hopefully show us a little bit better body language in this fight against Chase Sherman. Uh, I don't know how much more Chase Sherman is going to make Collier work than what Carlos Philippe was able to, so I'm hoping that will benefit Jay Collier here in terms of just you know looking good from minute one to minute 15 stay away from the big bomb from jay collier check a couple leg kicks if that's the way that chase sherman decides to go but then just continuously let your combinations go let your strikes go add up those numbers and then we should be able to get that decision victory once this fight hits that 15 minute mark so um yeah, there's, there's not much that scares me here. I'm not willing to go super deep on Jay Collier here. Again, there is that possibility that I could that he could get knocked out. But if this goes the full 15 minutes, I'd be surprised if it's Chase Sherman that is the, is the one who actually ends up getting his hand raised in the spot. I would actually even hope that Collier looks to go for takedowns in the spot because that would be a great way to nullify the knockout power that uh, Chase Sherman brings to the table. But uh, as long as he stays conscious, I think that Collier has his fight in the bag. So I'm going to be going Jake Collier, and I'll be taking him to win this fight via decision. Let's go.
Next up, we have a flyweight belt between Brandon Royval and Rogerio Bontorin. And uh, I'm very excited for this one because I am a big Raw Dog fan. Now, in terms of odds, we're looking at minus 160 for Royval and plus 144 Rogerio Bontorin. Uh, Brandon Royval, no matter how many times I break down this guy's fights, it's always going to sound pretty much the same the guy is a chaotic fighter he likes to introduce chaos and fire into his fights and in that fire and that chaos my man thrives and more often than not he's able to go out there and get the victory uh but he did fall into some tough times last time around against uh mr alexandre pantoja who uh you know royval was doing pretty well against you know he was really making him work and that was really the uh in my opinion that was probably the game plan because we have seen in past fights where pantoja does start to slow down in his fights and i said even leading up to that fight if pantoja still has a cardio issue it will show itself in this brandon royval fight and he did look a little bit spent after that first round not to the point of you know healing over and, and hurling or anything like that but i do think that uh you know royval really made him work but uh luckily for him uh he was able to capitalize on a small mistake that brandon royval made in that second round he was able to get that back and then obviously a sink in that rear naked choke to get that victory as well but Royval did what Royval needed to do, make him work, make him, you know, do whatever you need to do, stay active, put pressure on him, keep him moving backwards, and just keep the activity rate high so that you can start to take it over this fight as he starts to slow down the later that this fight goes. Unfortunately, Pantoja was able to end the fight before Royval was able to truly start to take over this fight. Now, Royval is not going to change his style, right? Like I spoke to Mark Montoya a couple weeks ago when I had him on the Ultimate Weigh-In show, and he goes, we just have to feed into that. We just have to continuously let him do what he does. Like, yeah, he was a wacky fighter when he was in the original scene, and we've kind of tamed him a bit at this point, but we still need to allow Brandon Royval to be Brandon Royval. And exactly that's what I think is going to happen this weekend when he goes up against Honjurio Bontarin. Bontarin, on the other hand, uh, coming off a win over Max Schnell in his last fight, but that was a fight that he took up at 135 pounds and missed weight for so there is a bit of an asterisk on that win for him there but i do think that uh you know he should be able to make the weight this term around even if he does though right uh that we know it's a bad weight cut for him we know it's very tough for him to get down to 125 pounds and now you're putting him up against a guy that's going to push you to the brink of breaking uh and with a guy like Brandon Royval. Uh, I do think that Royval will be successful in, in breaking him and and you know using that forward pressure very much against him. Bontrine, you know, a great BJJ specialist, but you know that's really where it is. He's a low volume kickboxer when the fight is in the striking room. Uh, decent power, but nothing that uh, Royval should have to worry about, in my opinion, because like obviously Royval likes to get uh, likes to to throw, but just as much he he actually does get hit uh, just as much as well. So that is a bit of a concern on the Royval side of things. But I do think that uh, he should be able to take whatever Bontarine throws at him uh, and then get the fight into his realm, which is deeper into this fight. Let's drag Bontarine deep. Let's make him feel that weight cut, make him feel, uh, you know, every inch that he left of himself on that scale. And I think that's exactly what Roy Val should be able to do here. Uh, my... I'd go pretty heavy on Roy Val in this spot. Uh, the only thing kind of keeping me back is if this fight does get into that grappling scenario, which I think it does, Bontarin could be live. He's probably the better pure jiu-jitsu player as well. And that's my concern here by backing Roy Val because more often than not, Roy Val gets the fight into the grappling situations and uh, he, ne he needs to thrive there. But in my opinion, if I was Montoya, I would tell him just to toy around on the feet as much as possible, like 
put the pressure on him, make him back up, make him suck some wind. And then in the second and third round, let's get our grappling going and try to find some success down there. Uh, I do think that Pantoja is a much better version of what Bontarine brings to the table. Uh, so I don't think that we'll see Bontarine actually be successful in terms of landing a submission or getting uh, Roy Valen to a, a, a compromising position. Uh, and then after that, I think that we'll see uh, Roy Val really start to take over once uh, Bontarine starts to slow down. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Roy I'll get him out of there probably in the second or third round another spot that I really like in this fight is the under two and a half as I do think that there are finishing opportunities on either side obviously Bontarine with the possible submission and then Roy Val submission of his own once he gets uh, uh Bontarine exhausted or even uh, an accumulative ground and pound kind of knockout uh victory for him where he just gets him in a bad position on the ground and just rains down shots uh that the referee eventually stab- steps in and stops uh but yeah, I do like the uh, Roy Val side here. I do think uh, he's the better fighter uh, in terms of MMA as a whole, creating the chaos, thriving in the chaos, all that stuff. Uh, Roy Val has a big future ahead of him. And uh, yeah, I- I'm picking I'm picking Roy Val here. I'll actually pick Roy Val. Uh, I'm going to go with TKO probably in the second or third round uh, as he starts to wear on Bontrian, overwhelm him, and then eventually break him and get him out of there. So once again, my prediction is going to be Brandon Roy Val via KO, second or third round. Catelyn Chukagian going up against Jennifer Maya for a second time. And this time around, we got Catelyn Chukagian coming in around minus 170 and plus 150 is the return on Jennifer Maya. Now, the first time these women were scheduled to fight each other was back in UFC 244, uh, November of 2019. That night, we saw Catelyn Chukagian come out uh, with a win, the uh, decision that night, uh, in a fight that, you know, played out to the best of her... Um, advantage if you want to call it that you know what i mean it, it worked out perfectly for her as jennifer maya really just stuck to her muay thai that plodding forward moving kind of style uh but that allowed Catelyn chikagan to just use her stick and move style very effectively uh didn't you know get dinged as much as she should have uh concerning what jennifer maya can bring to the table with her striking but i do think that's exactly how Catelyn chikagan would have wanted it just stick and move stay on the outside use your range as best as possible and make sure that your movement is effective enough that it will you know make jennifer maya throw at air more than anything and i just don't see what has happened in between that time since the last time they fought that makes me think that jennifer maya will have any better chance of winning this fight the only way i could see her making it uh, better is if she does look to take Catelyn Chikagian down uh, she did have success in that with that in the third round of their last fight but uh, the takedown came a little bit too late and near the ending of the fight we did see Catelyn you know diving for a leg in a sense uh, or, or a heel hook to get out of that position and I do think that we'll see her do something similar this time around uh, if she does find her in that compromising position because once this is in the striking realm it is just way too frustrating for Jennifer Maya to deal with a girl like Catelyn Chikagian and that fighting style and I just don't see how it's going to go any different you know not enough time has passed and sure you can say that jennifer maya won a round against valentina shevchenko but we saw how the rest of that fight went right sure valentina shevchenko can be human at times uh but that was one of the few times where we've seen it uh but i just don't think that it was you know super effective to the point that it's like okay we gotta rate jennifer maya even higher now so uh catlin you know i i like what she's been doing uh she she's going out there and excuse me since since she lost the fight to uh Valentina Shevchenko you know she she's taken a couple of different approaches in some of her fights looking to ground her opponents like Antonina Shevchenko 
or even uh you know go back to that uh stick and move style as i think that is most effective especially given her stature and her physical uh traits right she's long she's rangy she moves well and she uses that uh style very effectively and i think that's going to happen here once again with jennifer maya a lot of people might be saying oh you know don't get invested in this fight it's going to come out to be a, a split decision and then you're going to be kicking yourself but I feel like I have a decent amount of confidence in Chukagin in this spot. And I do think that she can go out there and just do what she does. You know, I don't think people give her enough respect. Like, remember that time when she was a plus 220 underdog to Cynthia Calvillo? And yeah, I've rated Cynthia Calvillo pretty well in the past, right? I've cashed her when I bet her against this guy. And I lost uh, on her when I bet... Uh, her against uh, Andrea Lee last time around but that fight she had no business being minus 250 or whatever the fuck she was going up against a girl like Catelyn Jukagan so uh yeah uh, glad to hit that underdog spot there but I do think that this is another solid favorite spot for her to go out there and just do what she does stick and move 15 minutes it may be boring to the naked eye but if you got money on it it is the most exhilarating thing in the world so I'm gonna be going with Catelyn Jukagan here and I do believe she wins this fight once again via decision time for the main event the first main event of 2022 for the ufc and we got a barn burner of a featherweight scrap uh headed for us we got giga chikadze coming in at minus 235 going up against calvin cater coming in at plus 190 and this is the first time we're going to be seeing calvin cater since uh he was on the wrong side of the best striking performance we've seen in the ufc uh one day shy uh from his last appearance which was against max holloway last year now a lot of people remember that night where you know he just got absolutely bullied you know i believe it was 433 strikes 400 let me get the exact number here 445 significant strikes that uh max holloway was able to land on him in 25 minutes which is absolutely unheard of uh and you probably could have stopped that fight at any point in the fourth or fifth round and people would likely have no issue with it i remember you know picking cater going into that fight i know a lot of people that were actually picking cater going into that fight and for months on end after that i still had people showing up in my live stream saying you're a dumbass why would you pick cater against holloway uh, you know, that was a once-in-a-lifetime type of performance for Max Holloway. And further proof to that, everybody expected him to do just exactly that against a guy like Yair Rodriguez, but he was unable to do that, right? Rodriguez made it much more closer than people expected it to be. Uh, and that truly goes to show how much, uh, you know, of an anomaly of a performance that was. Uh, I still hold to this day, I believe that Cater is the better technical striker than Max Holloway, but Holloway just has that God mode that he can turn on at any time put that pressure on put that output on put that um activity on his opponents and just break them and just mangle them and that's exactly what he did to calvin cater that night uh but we can't diminish too much what cater has been able to do leading up to that the guy's still a great fighter the guy's still a great striker has some decent power and still has some good potential to potentially uh get to the uh, uh, you know a ufc title shot in the next couple years uh as long as he doesn't go up against max holloway again that is uh but giga chikadze man really pretty himself on the map as of late a lot of people have been detracting him since he's come into the ufc but each performance he seems to get better like his toughest performances were his first couple fights in the ufc but since then he's been starting to make it look easier and easier cub swanson edson barboza the guy just goes out there and just finds a perfect game plan to nullify his opponents and either get them out of there or just win beat them via, via decision the omar morales fight right the omar was a uh, i think a minus 150 minus 170 favorite in that fight 
you know, not many people were taking Giga Chikaja that night, but Giga uh, put in uh, the perfect game plan, a very kick-heavy game plan, especially to the legs, and that caused Omar Morales troubles. And what causes Calvin Cater troubles? There's two things, in my opinion. Uh, you can overwhelm him. Uh, and if you're able to maintain the pressure like the Max Holloway fight, or if you have a kick-heavy game plan like Zabit Magomed Sherpov, uh, Hanato Maikano, uh, and even round one against uh, Jeremy Stevens. Stevens had tremendous success with his leg kicks in that first round. And then obviously we know what happened in the second round where Cater was able to decapitate him or uh, absolutely destroy him in that second round with a beautiful combination. And then that elbow on the ground that just opened up a nasty, nasty cut. If you, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that was the first fight back, first event back from the whole COVID situation last year. Uh, so to see Jeremy Stevens leaking like that, <coughs> excuse me, in front of an empty crowd uh, in an empty arena, it was it was eerie. It was weird to see for sure. Um, but yeah, uh, Chikadze fits that bill perfectly in terms of coming in with a kick-heavy game plan. And that could potentially be the downfall of Cater here. Cater will likely get the better of the boxing exchanges. But I do think that we'll see Chikadze move well enough and kick the legs just like he did against Omar Morales uh, to slow down Calvin Cater. And then he should be able to open up more kicks to the body, to the head, maybe even let some hands go as well. I find with his hands combinations though, like his striking combinations with boxing, uh, Chikadze is a little bit more power uh driven right it's not more technical I, I still believe that cater is a better technical boxer and i'm talking strictly hands uh whereas chikadze when we see him throw his hands it's more so just to you know land a big strike uh most of his uh game planning and most of his style is revolved around his kicks whether it's to the body to the head or even to the legs and based on the opponent that he's fighting it seems like he switches up the target very very well and i wouldn't be surprised if you see him kick him the kicking the legs very effectively here against cater as that seems to be uh the kryptonite to cater's game uh i think chikadze will be definitely successful in that my my pause comes in terms of if this fight goes 25 minutes because we you know how how well is Chikadze going to be able to keep that up for 25 minutes if that's what he's forced to do you know Edson Barboza was keeping him on his back foot for the majority of the fight and uh, you know it did seem like he was wearing on Chikadze a little bit but again Chikadze just finds the perfect opportunities to let his leg kicks go to let his body kicks go and that's exactly where he was able to find success against Barboza even as he was starting to deteriorate as the fight was going on I like I still like Chikadze here though I don't even think it's going to take him 25 minutes um it, it could but I think his decision prop is sitting around plus 325 uh over two and a half is sitting at minus 135 I don't mind those lines to be honest I do think it's going to take a little bit of time for that kick heavy game plan to really have effect on Cater maybe a round and a half maybe two rounds and then after that Cater could probably start to open up a little bit more and really put the hurting on Cater uh on yeah on Cater so uh I'll go Chikadze um i'm stuck between decision and inside the distance honestly um you know this this is roughly a week and a half before the fight takes place and as of this moment i am sitting on his decision uh, i'm gonna go uh Chikadze just staying methodical staying cerebral as well uh and, and just staying on the outside letting those leg kicks go and unless you know one of those body kicks crumbles uh calvin cater uh, i think calvin cater takes those kicks and just keeps chugging forward but i think it will cause him to still lose a decision in this spot so um official prediction is going to be giga chikaze and i'm going to take him to win this fight via decision
And that's a wrap on the breakdowns. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. And I hope you guys enjoyed the fact that we're back to Monday releases. Hoping to stay true to that throughout the year. But Monday releases is my target for this podcast. Uh, so hope you guys are enjoying that. Uh, secondly, Thursday, propping you up as always with my guy, John Stargarian. Friday, um, I might as well drop it now. I'm going to be having my guy, John Kelly DFS on the Ultimate Wayne Show on Friday evening. That's going to be 9 p.m. Eastern time. Make sure you guys go check that out. And uh, yeah, Saturday, Fight Day live chat, 1 p.m. Eastern as usual. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys over there as well. Not to mention the Deadlock podcast, UFC 270 fight week. That's the week it comes back, Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, right here on this channel, me and Clint talking all topics for MMA, all the big news and all the big stuff going into UFC 270. So make sure you guys join us for that. All right, hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you haven't already, make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, and then check out the Deadlock podcast too. Make sure you guys subscribe over there as well so you guys don't miss when we move over there permanently for that show. All right, appreciate the love and support and good luck on your best this weekend. I'll see you guys throughout the week.